The city, like a hive, is teeming with life. People crawl over it like insects or parasites. It's a place you can thrive or die in a ditch, where you can step on the poor to get slightly more rich. When the mountains are flat and the seas are dry, the towers will stand, stabbing the sky. As long as there is freedom and people in chains, humanity dies, Fridos remains. There was no time to celebrate, no time for sentimental reunions, there wasn't even time to think. Lillian barely had a second to realise that she wasn't still curled up and asleep in the bottom of the wardrobe. An explosion of some kind had just destroyed the attic door and a figure claiming to be Mr Atticop was standing in the wake of dust and debris. The imposter whirled round at the sound and, seeing that he was under attack, leapt over to the desk nearby. Lillian stood up shakily and watched him as he reached for the top of one of the legs, gripped a wooden corner and pulled upwards, revealing a two-foot-long blade. It must have been cleverly concealed inside the desk, and Lillian quickly wondered if the attic had any more hidden dangers. The imposter did not speak. Instead, he shouted loudly and angrily while running across the room towards Mr Atticop. Lillian still could not believe that he was really here and her heart nearly stopped in fright, realising that she might lose him again the moment he had returned. But out of the black depths of his cloak, Mr Atticop met his attacker's weapon with his own blade, a flash of shimmering silver against his night-black clothes. The weapons collided, clanging and ringing with every swipe and parry. Lillian was still so stunned she forgot herself and realised quickly that she needed to help Mr Atticop. She looked around desperately for a weapon, but she couldn't see anything that wasn't soft or breakable. Mr Atticop was slowly pushing the imposter back inside the attic. Another flash of lightning made them dark martial silhouettes against the large attic windows. Mr Atticop's face was stern, but his attacker looked determined to defend his stolen property. Lillian couldn't stand to be useless any longer, so she grabbed a handful of dirty rags, and as the thunder rolled overhead, she began to throw them at the imposter's face in an attempt to blind him. The first one missed, but the imposter cursed loudly as he realised what she was doing. Mr. Atticop took advantage of his momentary distraction by feinting a chest-high thrust, only to follow swiftly by a slashing backhand. At the same time, one of the rags smacked into the imposter's eyes and he was briefly blinded, meaning that the slash cut a large tear in his shirt. Had he not stepped back, the blade would have hit his chest. This put the imposter on the defensive, and he took a few steps back towards the steps in the middle of the attic to reassess his situation. You two need to reconsider this. I have powerful friends, you understand? As soon as they find out... He was interrupted by Mr. Atticop. So run along and tell them. We'll be here. 
and when they come, we shall bring our boots down on them like the cockroaches they are. Lillian heard a terrible anger in his voice. He was normally such a calm man. The imposter spat on the floor, turned on his heel, and ran up the steps onto the attic's upper level. Mr. Atacop still had his sword up and ready in a guarding stance. He never took his eyes off where the imposter had disappeared to, not even while speaking to Lillian. Who is he? The urgency in his voice and the situation in general made Lillian's tired and hungry brain snap back to sharp attention. An imposter? He's been saying he's you and he's making and selling a drug called Nightshade. What does it do? It gives you strength. Strength like I've never seen. It's very dangerous. If he drinks some, he won't. Lillian didn't ask him how he knew this, but he seemed very sure. Lillian, Mr. Atacop continued. Lillian permitted herself a smile. It was good to be talking to him again. You're going to do exactly what I say, as soon as I say it. Do you understand? I do, she replied quickly. You need a weapon. Take this. Without looking at her, Mr. Atacop flipped his sword around and offered her the hilt. Lillian took it. The sword was lighter than she expected it to be. She tested it with a few practice swings before settling into her own guard stance. Right foot forward, left toes on the floor, ready to spring the body forward or accept the weight back. Both hands up, ready to strike and parry. Lillian breathed out slowly and felt a familiar calm wash over her body. The fight was still in progress, but she was safer now. She could think clearly. When he comes back, we take both flanks. I'll take the top, you aim for his legs. Do I hit to kill? No. Disarm and subdue. Kill only if it means saving yourself. Ready yourself. He's coming back. Lillian started moving slowly towards the right, while Mr. Atacop moved round to the left, pulling out a shining vial of essence and unstoppering as he did. Lillian kept her eyes on the stairs, and seconds later, the imposter reappeared. He had apparently gone to fetch more weapons, as in his left hand he held a brown glass bottle, which he was busy shaking vigorously. In his right hand, he clutched a short, mean-looking club. It looked like a short bat that Lillian had seen some children using to hit balls with in a park a few days ago. Only this one had rusty nails poking out of it. The sword he had pulled out of the table was currently in his teeth. As he surveyed his attackers, Lillian noticed more of those little brown bottles strapped to his belt. This man looked as though he was ready to defend himself against an army. Thankfully, his eyes, although filled with malice, didn't have any traces of purple leaking out of them. Lillian braced herself, and the battle began. The imposter hurled the brown bottle he was shaking directly at Mr. Atacop. He was ready for it, though, and deflected it off to his right. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw it smash into the wardrobe behind him with a loud crack. It left a perfectly round hole in the wood, large enough to fit a head through, and Lillian breathed a small sigh of thanks that she was no longer hiding inside. 
Taking advantage of Mr. Atkop's momentary distraction, the imposter flew down the stairs and was upon Lillian. The sword fell from his teeth and he caught it with his left hand mid-swing. Lillian met the blade with her own, producing a flash of sparks. She had no time to offer a counter-attack, however, as the spiked club came hurtling in from the side. Lillian ducked in time to hear it whoosh over her head. She was low now and remembered her role in the fight. She was to attack his legs and affect his balance. She stayed low then and kicked out hard. Mr. Atacop was on the scene just as Lillian's foot connected with the imposter's shin. He let out a pained groan, but the kick had not quite been hard enough to knock his foot away. Luckily, Mr. Atacop was putting pressure on the man's torso, punching high and fast. Lillian saw silver across his fingers and realised that he had fashioned the essence into spiked knuckle guards. Each one flashed back and forth in a flurry of blows. Lillian had forgotten just how fast he was, especially for a man of his advanced years. The imposter was doing well enough to dodge most hits, but a few still managed to break through his guard. Lillian swiped at the imposter's knees with her sword, knowing she could cut vital tendons with a well-placed slash. The imposter, however, was turning out to be a competent fighter. He lacked finesse and technique, but he made up for it with a massive supply of energy and determination. He managed to shove Mr. Atacop back a few steps and started hurling brown bottles at him, after placing the hilt of his sword back in his teeth. Having seen the effects of just one of these bottles, Mr. Atacop dashed backwards to give his reactions more time. He span left and right, avoiding or redirecting every bottle. More holes began popping into the floor and furniture. Lillian remembered the layers of explosives beneath them and thought the imposter insane to risk blowing up the entire building. Or perhaps these bottles didn't react with those particular bombs. Whatever the reason, the imposter had no qualms about hurtling more and more bottles at Mr. Atacop. Lillian felt she needed to step in, so she ducked into the imposter's blind spot on his left side and quickly brought her sword up in a wide arc. She felt it connect with the imposter's hand and he flinched back, spitting curses through his clenched teeth. Lillian caught a glimpse of Scarlet on his palm and she knew that she had disabled his good hand. Unperturbed by the hit, the imposter reached round to the back of his belt and brought a bottle up to his lips. This one was flat, like a hip flask, and green in colour. Lillian watched him take its contents into his mouth and keep it there before chucking the bottle at Lillian's head. She managed to duck and heard it smash on the floor behind her. Before Lillian could plan her counterattack, the imposter was above her. He took a deep breath in through his nose and spat the liquid all over her in a burst of spray. It smelt of strong alcohol and stung her eyes. A panic swept through Lillian's body. If a spark from her blade landed on her now, she would be consumed by flames. The imposter knew this, of course, and came at her swinging and slashing. Lillian switched to a mindset of dodging rather than parrying and made sure to keep her silver sword well out of reach of his attacks. After a particularly heavy strike, Lillian rolled backwards. 
This gave her a second to check on what Mr. Atticop was doing. He was not attacking, but instead he had slipped one of his knuckle guards off and was putting it in his mouth. Lillian watched the metal soften into a chewy substance as soon as it connected with his teeth. This odd behaviour was drawing the attention of the imposter, who was standing between them, confused. He did not wait to see what Mr. Atticop was planning, and as quick as a flash, he pulled a matchstick from his pocket and struck it against his belt. The match hissed into life, and Lillian's heart began pounding against her chest. One flick of his wrist, and Lillian's fight was over. She glanced at the splashes of liquid all over the floor and wondered if she would be able to escape the flames if they chased her. Put your weapons down. You hear me? The imposter spoke between heavy breaths. Nice and easy. We can negotiate. You'll find me to be quite reasonable when my life is not in immediate danger. Just put your... The imposter's speech slowed to a stop. He didn't even finish his thought. He was staring intensely at Mr. Atticop, his eyes slowly widening in disgust and disbelief. Lillian followed his gaze and found herself equally entranced by what was happening to Mr. Atticop. His mouth was open wide, wider than a normal human should be able to open their mouths. Lillian couldn't see his tongue or teeth. Instead, she was just staring into an ink-black abyss. Mr. Atticop was making no sound, save for a soft, rasping breath. Lillian watched in horror and awe as the blackness began to slowly spill from his mouth and flow down his chin like dark vomit. The liquid darkness, for that is really all Lillian could think of it as, began to flow over his clothes, onto the wooden floor and into the cracks of the floorboards. Lillian thought she heard the imposter swear something under his breath before taking a few steps back in wide-eyed fear. Lillian realised then that through all the training and all the encounters they'd had, Mr. Atticop had never really pushed himself to his full potential. Most likely, he had never needed to, but now his anger was up and the darkness was enveloping him and everything around him. The imposter, taking this for some cheap scare tactic, rallied himself and ran straight for Mr. Atticop and began slashing at him with his blade. He was running fast and had his full weight behind every swing, not wanting to take any chances. Lillian winced as Mr. Atticop failed to defend himself and ended up getting struck hard in the shoulder. But Mr. Atticop did not react. His shoulder began bleeding the same black substance that was still draining from his mouth. The imposter struck him again and again, but Mr. Atticop showed no sign of feeling any pain at all. Instead, the black liquid just flowed quicker and quicker, splashing all over the imposter's blade and clothes. Red in the face with effort, the imposter tried to step backwards and rethink his strategy, 
But the liquid had become sticky, and even though Lillian was sure that both men were standing on solid ground, they began to sink into the inky darkness. The imposter tried wrenching his feet upwards. He even managed to get one out slightly, but he could not step back far enough to avoid stepping back into the liquid. Lightning flashed again, but the dark patches on the floor reflected no light. They weren't so much black, thought Lillian, but rather an eerie absence of all light. Mr. Atacop had almost completely dissolved now, and Lillian got to her feet, still ready to continue the fight if she was needed. The imposter was trying a new tactic. He was slashing at his feet, hoping to cut the sticky strands that tied him to the ica. His eyes were filling with fear, but he was gaining some success. His right foot managed to find the wooden floor behind him, but Lillian wasn't going to let him escape. She manoeuvred herself round so that she was directly behind him. He occasionally shot out a look, trying to keep track of her, but his trouble with the black liquid was proving to be too distracting. Lillian gritted her teeth and took a few steps back so as to have more of a run-up. She began her sprint just as the imposter was pulling his left foot up and out of the floor. A second later and he would have been free, but Lillian was upon him. She jumped and propelled both feet into the imposter's chest as he turned. The flying kick caught him off guard and he dropped his sword and club in surprise. He was also forced off balance and fell back and down into the swampy blackness. His arms flailed as he fell, desperately reaching for a hold or hand that was never there. His impact created little in the way of splash and his full immersion meant that escape was now impossible. Lillian got up and stood over him. She saw desperation fill his eyes and felt a small pang of pity as she watched him flail his arms. Please, little girl, I'm sorry I threatened you. You can have the attic. I'll clear out my things. I'm sorry, you understand? Lillian said nothing. She knew that Mr. Atkop was trying to scare him, and it was working. Speaking now would undermine the effort. She merely watched as what looked like a black hand came out of the dark pool and clasped itself over his mouth, muffling his empty apologies. His nose remained uncovered so he could still breathe, but the stifling must have been quite a shock. Lillian wondered if Mr. Atacop was taking things a little too far, but then she recalled the man's threats of bringing his friends back to exact revenge. If they were going to be truly rid of him, he would need to be made scared of ever coming back to bother them. The dark liquid then did something strange. It stopped behaving like a liquid at all and began solidifying. It dried quick and tough like wax. The imposter's erratic movements began to slow as his arms and legs became stuck in place. The process took less than ten seconds, and when it was over, the imposter was left frozen, half sunken into the floor, surrounded by blackness with only his head, hands and left leg visible. Thunder 
rumbled overhead as Lillian listened to his rapid breathing. His eyes darted between Lillian and her blade, still shining brightly in her right hand. Lillian waited. She was hungry and tired, but still happy to wait a little longer. Suddenly, she heard footsteps from behind her. She didn't need to turn around to know that it was Mr. Atacop stepping out from a shadow to confront his impersonator. The newly reunited duo stood over their prey. The imposter's wild eyes darted between them. They waited until the fight fell out of him and he calmed down enough to speak. With a flick of his hand, Mr. Atacop dispelled the dark limb that silenced the imposter. It slithered back into the darkness with a wet slop. The imposter did not shout or call for help. He merely looked up at his captors, knowing he had lost. You've been very busy while I've been away. Mr. Atacop let the comment hang in the air before following it up with his first question. What is your name? The imposter tried to move his head so as to get some strands of hair out of his eye, but his movement was so limited that even this simple act was rendered impossible, and so he blinked incessantly while speaking. My name... I... My name is Simus Helmont. Lillian looked up in time to see Mr. Atacop narrowing his eyes in reaction to the name. Helmont. We've met before, I believe. We have. Years ago, now. Hmm. And what made you think you could move in here and set up shop in my attic? Word was that you were dead assassinated. I had just started working when I heard and thought that your name would be a good cover in case things went sour. I knew the attic would be empty, so I paid off a locksmith, made new keys, and moved in. Mr. Atacop waited, considering the answer. Finding it to his satisfaction, he moved on with his line of questioning. Tell me about Nightshade. The man, apparently called Helmont, closed his eyes as if he'd just been delivered some terrible news. I didn't invent it. I don't know who did. But I make it and I sell it. I don't have any here, though, I swear. He's lying. It was Lillian's turn to speak. Both men looked at her and waited for evidence of her claim. Lillian turned around and walked back across the room, round the desk and stood next to the wooden panel she had previously tried to pry open. She had known then that there was something hidden there, but she had had to be quiet. Now she just turned around and kicked out like a donkey. The thin wood splintered easily and Lillian chucked the broken panel aside before reaching in and pulling out two bottles filled with dark purple liquid. She walked back over and handed one to Mr. Atacop. He studied it slowly, turning it in his hand and holding it up to the light of the window. He then handed it back to Lillian and knelt down close to Helmont. Unblinking, he spoke in a low tone. Let me give you some advice. 
Considering that the world thinks you're me, and I'm clearly here in front of you, it would stand to reason, then, that if you disappeared, no one would look for you. I could have this hole swallow you up, and everyone who ever spoke the name Simus Helmont again would be doing so only in reference to a fading memory. With that in mind, my advice is do not lie to me again. Helmont stared at him despite the hair bothering his eyes. He gave as much of a nod as he could manage, and Mr. Atticop stood up to resume his questioning. Who taught you how to make it? Helmont was quick to respond now. No one. I just got a set of instructions. They're up there. His eyes pointed to the upper part of the attic. Not easy to follow, and you'd need a fair amount of chemical manufacturing experience to follow them, so... He can't be made by any old fool. I used to work for a dye and tanning factory, so I know my measurements. Who gives you the instructions and ingredients? Mr. Atticop's questions were quick and impatient. The quick tone elicited quick responses, except for this one. Helmont paused, nervous about his answer. Tell me now. Helmont resigned himself. It was clear that answers were the only thing that would release him from Mr. Atticop's dark grip. The Werdian. Mr. Atticop looked confused. He shot Lillian a look and she nodded, confirming the answer. Mr. Atticop looked back at Helmont and spoke a single word. Why? I was only doing it for the money. Good money, too. They never told me why, but I have my theories. You're a smart man, Cromwell. Think about it. Why would the powers that be want illegal chemicals flooding their own streets? Mr. Atticop gave it a moment's thought before realising the answer. The chemical gives you strength. Who should need it most, then, than the weak? Sell them their own power and then arrest them for daring to claim it. Lillian followed the logic. They're using it to find dissenters, people who are desperate or want to cause trouble. They're taking advantage of their hopelessness by selling them a solution and then imprisoning them once they use it. That's genius, said Helmont. Evil, said Lillian. There was a pause. Mr. Atticop paced around the room. The lightning and thunder had long rolled over the city, and the only sound left was the heavy clunk of Mr. Atticop's boots on what remained of the floorboards. After a few lengths back and forth, Mr. Atticop stopped and turned to Helmont. I'm going to let you go now. Lillian almost spoke up in protest, but realised quickly that they had little more to gain from keeping him here. You're to start using your old name again, and you're to stay in the city for at least a month. You're to check in at the Dim Candle every three days to see if I've left you a message. If I have, then you do exactly as it says. Do you understand? Helmont nodded emphatically. Yes, yes, of course. Good. 
and with that, Mr. Atikop reached down and clasped Helmont's hand. As soon as he did so, the dark substance began to crumble and flake away. In no time at all, it was just a pile of black powder on the floor, and Simus Helmont was patting himself down, wiping the excess dust away. The floorboards were back to normal, with no sign of break or dent. Lillian even surreptitiously put a little pressure on the spot where Helmont had been trapped, just to see if it gave way or revealed a trap door. It did not. Mr. Atikop took back his blade and melted it back into a vial of essence, all while keeping a close eye on Helmont as he collected a few vital things. When they finally shut the door behind him, Lillian let out a large and long sigh of relief. She turned to look at Mr. Atikop and rubbed her eyes, half in an attempt to wake herself up, half as a measure to double-check that he really was there in front of her. She opened her eyes and he was still there, standing just as she remembered him. His beard was messier than she remembered, his cloak a little dustier, but it was Mr. Atikop all the same. He was about to speak, but Lillian already had her arms around him. They spoke for a while, but Lillian was conscious of Fritha needing food, water and a walk. She also needed to explain her absence to Mr. Twitchit, so with a quick promise to return as soon as she could, she left the attic residence and stepped, thankfully, into the fresh afternoon air. One thing they did address before Lillian left was how Mr. Atikop knew that Helmont wouldn't drink any nightshade. As he put it, if he was going to drink it, he would have done so the moment I stepped through the door. Substances as powerful as nightshade do not sit idle without reason. I suspect our Mr. Helmont was very aware of the dangers his concoction presents. He, after all, knows exactly what's in it. Fritha had never been so delighted to see Lillian walk through the door. She practically knocked her over in an effort to lick her face, and after a quick meal of raw chicken Lillian had picked up on the way home, the two of them dropped in on Mr. Twitchit. Far from being angry with her, Mr. Twitchit was just as relieved as Fritha was to see that she was safe. Lillian explained what had happened, leaving out any bits about gloaming or lunar essence. When she had finished telling her story, Mr. Twitchit asked if she could deliver a finished piece to a client. It was a beautiful and colourful parrot that had apparently been a cherished family pet for many years. Lillian handled it with utmost care and Mr. Twitchit said that after the delivery was completed, she would not be needed for the rest of the day. Lillian thanked him and carefully transported the animal up the hill to the correct address. She was thankful that her job allowed her to travel around the city in this way. Without it, it would have taken a lot longer to get to know the many streets and districts of the vast metropolis. She still got lost occasionally, but she quickly learned which kinds of people she could trust to ask for directions. Fritha trotted along happily beside her, sporting her shaggy dog look and snapping at any pigeons that came too close. Once the delivery was completed, the client was extremely happy with the result. 
Lillian began making her way back down the hill to go and see Mr. Atacop again. It so happened then that she bumped into Catherine as she walked and she was able to fill her in very briefly on the developments. The two agreed to meet again within the week and Lillian set off with a wide smile on her face. The city summer sun was shining, street vendors chorused their wares and everything was well in the world. Lillian got back to Mr. Atticop's attic by late afternoon. The air was cooling as evening set in, but the height of the attic meant that it was still very hot inside. Lillian wiped her forehead as she climbed the last of the stairs and stepped through the broken door, tiptoeing round broken shards of wood as she did. Fritha sniffed the floor and air, wagging her tail furiously as the scent of someone familiar filled her sensitive snout. Lillian heard a rustling and crashing coming from the back of the attic and climbed the few steps to go and find Mr. Atticop. She saw him crouched beside a large basket. He was sorting through bits and pieces left behind by Helmont, occasionally chucking things into the basket to be taken to the city dump later. Lillian greeted him and he smiled when he saw her. Lillian hoped that his new habit of smiling would stick, as happiness suited him. Fritha ran ahead, her lead breaking free from Lillian's grip. Her tail wagged so much that she nearly knocked a glass beaker off a table. Mr. Atticop laughed and stroked her ears. Yes, yes, I've missed you too, you great big oaf. Settle down now, settle down. But Fritha continued to bark her bell-like sounds, licking his hands and leaning her full weight on him. We've both missed you, said Lillian. Mr. Atticop looked up at her with a solemn expression. I know, I've missed you too. I'm so sorry, Lillian. I tried everything in my power to get here sooner, but I was... He paused, searching for the appropriate term. Waylaid. Lillian heard sadness in his voice. Well, you're here now. That's what matters. He smiled. Yes, I'm here. I'm back in this silly city, and I'm eager to get back to work. I've actually just come from work... I didn't know what to do in your absence, so I got a job at a taxidermist's. Mr. Atticop raised his eyebrows in surprise. That's good, Lillian. You should keep it. We will be able to resume training in the evenings and when you have days off. My work in the meantime will mainly consist of getting this place back in order. He looked around at the mammoth task ahead of him. Fritha was busy pushing a cork bowl around and chasing after it. This part of the attic was a little darker than the entrance, with only two small windows in the back wall for natural light. There were tables and desks shoved carelessly against the walls and littered with a hundred different beakers, mixing bowls and chemical apparatus. There was a drab-looking bed in one corner and a small nightstand beside it. The entire space looked like it hadn't been cleaned in months, and Lillian reminded herself that it probably hadn't. Lillian began picking up anything that was broken or useless and placing it inside the basket. She had many questions burning away inside of her, but for now was content with just having Mr. Atticop 
back. So, what do you make of Fridos? Lillian considered the question, turning over a broken set of scales as she did. It's nice, Mr. Atacop saw straight through her. But? But it has a lot of problems. Mr. Atacop snorted derisively, as if that was the understatement of the century. It has only one problem. Poverty. Lillian didn't quite agree with this. I don't know, she said. Ben Luna is not a rich town, but we don't have the same problems. People here are desperate, you know. And judging by what we learned today, the people in charge don't seem to be making life any easier. Mr. Atacop nodded. Has it always been like this? More or less, he replied, setting aside a large abacus to keep. Although it has gotten steadily worse in the last few years since the Emperor died. Lillian had heard about that when it had happened. Ben Luna was far away, but not completely cut off from the world. If you could, proffered Lillian, what would you do to help the people of Fridos? This question made Mr. Atacop pause. He shrugged nonchalantly before going back to work and replied, Oh, I don't know. I suppose we could kill the Empress. Hello, thank you for listening to episode 28 of Ben Luna. I am Simon Maeder, and the music was by Tom Figgins. Now, it's been a really long time since I've asked you, dear listener, to leave a review. A big thank you to everyone who has been leaving lovely reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, but if you have gotten this far and you haven't left a review... I would love you to consider doing so. It's very easy and it helps spread the word so, so much. Just go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave a nice sentence or two. Maybe give us five stars. Oh, that'd be nice. (laughs) Um, That would be really kind. For now, I just have to say that this production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Thanks again. And, oh, I nearly forgot. I am going to be running a competition on social media. Find us there at Ben Luna Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and enter and you could win a beautiful original poster. It's framed, it's stunning and yeah, it's really, really cool. I I highly recommend taking a look. Okay, bye bye for real. Thanks.